0: Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to spend seven weeks inside of this idea that words have power. And uh, as you saw in, inside the video clip, uh, you cannot go throughout a day. In fact, uh, uh, most, for most men inside the room, about 7,000 words a day. For most ladies inside the room, fifteen to 20,000 words a day. Uh, there's no joke coming out at the end of that statement, but that's just the reality of, of how we work. You know, we use a variety of words, uh, a number of words, complexity of words, different situations, but uh, inside of our day, uh, so much of the human experience is tied around the words that we use. And so where we're going to go for the seven weeks that we're here is just to think about that a little bit deeper. Now, it's going to be broader than just simply uh, don't lie, be nice, don't be a jerk, you know, like those kind of things. Like, we need those practical handles in in terms of how we use our words, but uh, I'm hoping to go just a little bit deeper in some particular areas as we think about uh, this thing together. But when inside of you know the human experience, you can't get away from the power that words have. And so uh, we all know that there are things that we have said that we should not have said. There are things that we regret. We all have things that people have said to us that they should not have said and have been our biggest disappointments or wounds inside of life. We wait for uh, the first words of, of a toddler. We remember and we kind of lock those in and galvanize those funny ways that people have said things inside of our homes. You remember last conversations. I did not know it at the time, but uh, I remember the last conversation I had with my dad when the next uh, day he passed away of a heart attack. I remember that conversation, even though there was nothing special about it and it would have just fallen in line with hundreds of conversations that we had had before. But in this particular case, it was the last conversation. I remember trying to muster the courage to uh, dial the phone, and I don't know if it was dial like this or if it was dial like this, uh, but it wasn't contained in my hand. It was uh, a phone that was attached to the wall, and uh, to muster up the courage to speak to a girl for the first time. Now, I tell my kids all the time this you know, you guys have it so much easier now, because now you know exactly the person who's going to pick up on the other end. They see your name, you know their name, you've probably been texting before. Back in my day, uh, you you had to summon the courage, pick up the phone and call, and most likely talk to someone on the other end who was not the person that you really wanted to talk to but was the kind of the barrier between you and that person. And so uh, I remember those conversations. You you still remember words that took you down, words that built you up, words that inflated you, words that deflated you. You remember uh, all those things, and yet there are so many words, millions of words that you don't remember that just came and went. There's power in words. And so when we look at this over the course of the next several weeks, again, as I said, I want to take a little bit of a broad look, not just seven sermons on how to be nice, but what it looks like inside of a world that has changed and is changing very dramatically and very quickly, uh, what it means for us to be people of faith who use our words well. We are also coming into 2020, which is Uh, Both the year where our denomination will have a major set of meetings and there will be a lot of different words uh, surrounding that. And also our country is heading into an election and there's going to be millions of words surrounding that. Uh, You uh, and I are called to enter into those conversations, uh, but to do so with grace, with salt and with light. And what does that look like and how do we engage inside of the culture where we are? We're spending this year thinking about what it looks like to engage and invite inside of our communities to engage and invite, and I would almost say that you cannot do either of those things without words. And so we love to use sometimes as Christians, you know, the quote from Francis of Assisi, like preach the gospel and if necessary use words. To point to the fact that actions are important and and it's not just our words, but make no mistake about it, you must use words in addition to your actions in terms of how you live. What's it look like to pursue spiritual growth? Uh, to grow closer in our faith and in what that means then for how we treat the people around us and the world outside of us. So that's where we're going for the next seven weeks, and uh, let me also extend uh, another invitation. If this was a commercial, I would say, but wait, there's more. Uh, Wait, there's more. Because of, uh, I've read about seven books, I think, in in preparation for this series, as well as uh, over a thousand uh, scriptures having to do with God said, or the Lord said, or Uh, someone hearing from God. Some have estimated as many as 3,000 verses in scripture about this idea of words and in terms of how we speak to one another and conversation. Uh, There is way more material than we could possibly do inside of seven weeks, even if the sermons were an hour long, Um, but we're not going to do that either. Um, So on Wednesday night, if you do not have a group, if you're not currently in a life group, you have the ability to get here Wednesday at seven, Uh, upstairs in the education wing we're going to be looking at for seven weeks some uh, bonus material. We may look back into Sunday morning and talk about a couple of things, but for the most part, there is uh, brand new content uh, that we are going to uh, discuss there. uh, Several other topics that we can't even get to here on a Sunday morning, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, join us if you can on Wednesday evening. All right, so after this uh, lengthy introduction, let me just tell you where we're going to go this morning. I want to warn you, today kind of like builds, and I want to invite you just to stay with me for the next 20 minutes or so, Uh, because I want to attempt to, if I can, lay a foundation inside of Scripture for why this is important. We know practically why this is important. Every day you get into trouble, or you uh, exchange great words, good words, not so good words, we know that this is important uh, practically in terms of relationships, but I think it's grounded even deeper theologically inside of the heart of who God is and what faith looks like. So I want to attempt to, if I can, kind of lay a, a theological framework. Uh, I promise I'll try to met, not to make this boring, but I think it is important that we kind of think about these things, and so to jump into it together. Uh, one of the deadlines I have, um, one of the things probably that, that, that Charlie, you know, hated most about his job, and now Bill and, and Eddie get to do it, is every Wednesday is to say, uh, what is your title, and what is your scripture passage for the weekend? And... And then to repeat that email on Thursday and possibly on Friday, if, but no, usually not that bad. But uh, And so this week the staff was asking, what is your title and what's the scripture? And I thought about it for a second and I said, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21. Because that, that's where I think I want to cover, and uh, so we have a lot of slides to get through um, if we're going to read this together. Well, what I want to do is begin inside of Genesis chapter 1 and uh, take, th- take through... Uh, Spend some time there, and then take us through, and we're going to end in uh, the very end of Revelation uh, during our time together this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're mostly going to be in Genesis chapter 1 for our reading here this morning, beginning uh, with verses uh, 1 to 5. Now I want to invite you as you think about this. These are familiar words. Think about how the creation story is told. Passed down orally for generations. Moses then, you know, most people believe wrote Genesis uh, to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. As Moses, hundreds of years later, puts pen to paper under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we have hundreds of pages in Scripture of prophets and history. And you have about three pages inside of your Bible of the creation of the world. Think about uh, for a moment just how this story uh, is uh, chronicled and is recorded for us. All right, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. How's the creation story told? And and maybe even just in the asking of that question, I kind of give you part of the answer. The creation story is told, but it's also told about a God who speaks. And so right on page one, sentence one, inside of your scripture, this is the idea that God speaks and the importance of words. Creation is not somehow like uh, boomed into existence or flashing lightning or miraculous power, but it's spoken by the very mouth of God. And God said, let there be light. You go on, though, inside of this, and if you were to go down through the next uh, four days of creation where the separation of the waters and then the putting of the stars and, you know, and, and the, the sun in the sky, and then there's the uh, creating of the plants and the creating of animals, you get this pattern over and over again where God spoke and said, let there be. And then it happened. And then God places a label on that. We're going to call this day and we're going to call this night. We're, we're going to call this the, the sun and this the moon and these the stars. God labels, he speaks further to, to classify and to specify his creation. Then after that, and periodically you get the evaluation that it was good, that he saw the light was good, and, and at the end of uh, you know, the, the five days, it was good. And so all through creation, there is a lot of talking taking place. As God speaks creation into existence and provides a label for it and then gives an evaluation, you do not have the creation story without words. Not just words inside of your scripture, but the word of God that comes forth. God speaks creation into existence. And throughout that, uh, this importance of words goes on when uh, we pick up further down the story, the the sixth day of creation, uh, with verse number 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In his image he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Then he gives them the instruction to rule over uh, the earth, and, and to take care of, and to steward creation. And then we get to the end, and these concluding words, And it was so, and then God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And so inside of this, and we summarized through, we didn't read down through all of chapter 1, but there's this a- aspect that as God speaks creation into existence, the power of words that take place, but then even when you get to the pinnacle of creation— which is you and me, when mankind is created, we get further conversation. In fact, we, we begin to understand why is God talking and who is God talking to. So we know that uh, we serve a monotheistic, we serve one God. Not polytheism, where there's many gods and the God of rain and the God of storms and you know, the God of, of fertility and all these different things. We serve one God. And so the first commandment is the Lord, our God, is one there is a singularity to who God is. When you come to chapter 26, you realize then why God speaks and who God is speaking through, throughout this process because inside of the Godhead, inside of the Trinity, Genesis one twenty-six may be the first reference to the twi- Trinity inside of Scripture. God says, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our own image. And so you have the imprint of the image of God on you and on me. And there's communication inside the Godhead. That's significant because of a God who speaks not only to creation, but even the communication within the Godhead itself. He says, you've been created in the image of God. You know, there have been hundreds of books written about what that means, what that looks like, to be made in the image of God. And, and you know, just the enormity of that and what could it possibly mean and There's about six different main suggestions, and really, as you'll see, the first three or four are are kind of the main big ones, and then there's a couple other uh, minor ones, and I just want to walk down through those, because this is kind of what what most scholars believe uh, is meant by that you and I are created in the image of God. First, that there's this aspect of rule or, or dominion, but not in the taking advantage of sense, but that we have a responsibility to steward and to care for the rest of creation. And so we share in that responsibility with God, and and so many have said to be made in the image of God is God isn't, has given us the responsibility to care for and the shepherd over creation. That makes sense. The second thing is uh, many people talk to the the rational or the mental, the fact that we have you know the capability of of thought and and higher thought uh, that we've been given a mind uh, that works just like. Uh, God inside of the the brilliance and the omniscience of who he is, we maintain a part of that. The third is that there is a relational, that there's a a social aspect of what it means to be made in the image of God, and and not as though the other uh, members of the animal kingdom don't find themselves in community, but there's something about uh, the power of relationship where we defer, and we have the opportunity to be in mutual, self-giving, loving relationships uh, with people around us, just as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some have have spoken, maybe this just has to do with the free will and autonomy, that we are, you know, free agencies capable of making choices and decisions, and that God's gifted us with that. We're not just bound by instincts and, you know, and and urges and desires, but we have the ability to think through and to make choices. Another option or another thought, maybe these go together, it's not either or but both and, is that, that we've been endued with purpose. And just as God creates and make so he's given us purpose and something to do. Reminder for you that work is not a uh, ramification of the fall. The toil of work and, and the danger in work and the lack of satisfaction in work is what comes as a result of the fall. But from the very beginning, you and I weren't created just to enjoy pleasure and sit on the beach. But to actually actually engage in and to be purposeful in some of the world that God has given us. And the, the sixth is... You know, that maybe there's a moral character that we uh, embody the character of our God. And all, all six of these things really make a lot of sense when you think about what it means to be made in the image of God. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. We're not everywhere and all-powerful and all-knowing. We don't, you know, embody the holiness of God or, you know, the grand nature of who God is. But in some of these things, this makes sense that we're made in his image. John Piper had, had this to say. He, he said there is so much thought given to that how we are made in the image of God or what it looks like to ma- be made in the image of God. But he said, I wonder if the main reason, chapter 1, verse 26 is there, is not to figure out how you image are, are made in the image of God, but the fact that you are and that bears a responsibility. He says the perfect purpose of an image is to image is to bear witness to, is to point in the direction of something. And so if we were to go into Philadelphia and you were to see a a statue of of Doug Peterson and Nick Foles talking together in the Philly special moment, that signifies what took place during Super Bowl 52. If we were to go up the street a couple miles and, and to see the statue of Rocky Balboa, that signifies what took place in a movie, but also a classic American icon and character and all that Rocky is. The purpose of the statue is to point to what it actually means or what it causes you to remember or to think about. So John Piper says instead of getting lost in whether it is, you know, the fact that we have reason or, you know, the opportunity to steward creation or work or all those things, the purpose of the image is to be an image. Do You know, what makes me wonder then if the reason that the commandment is there that you should have no graven images It's not only to avoid idolatry that we worship things, but it's to be a reminder to the Jewish people and now a reminder to Christians that we don't make an image to bow down to. You become an image that when other people see you, they see the God that you serve and the God that you know. You are the image that points to the reality of who God is. you're made in the image of God, to reflect who he is, to bear witness to the reality of a God who wants to come and take up residence inside of a human heart, and therefore to transform character and thinking and words. But I want to add one more to the list of what it means to be made in the image of God. I'll be quite honest, since I have not read this in any books, I don't know if I'm going out on a limb or if I'm trying to just make a cute little tie-in to the sermon series, but I think there's something about this idea of words that is part of what it means to be made in his image. Because as we're about to see in, in a couple of moments, you cannot find a place where God moves inside of human history, inside of scripture that doesn't involve him speaking. And in fact, uh, scientists have said one of the things that differentiate human beings from other members of the animal kingdom is not just the ability to have speech, because a number of species communicate, but to have complex speech that's tied to both memory and emotion. Complex developed speech that's tied to both memory and emotion. In other words, we communicate relationally, not just inside of the facts of the current moment or even the feelings of the current moment, but inside of memory and inside of critical thinking and inside of relationships, we learn and adapt and we communicate much deeper than simply just facts and figures and reality and perception. And I think it's in line with the heart of who God is. Because after Genesis 1, where God speaks creation into existence, you move on throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and in Genesis chapter 6, at at the flood it said, God spoke to Noah. You turn the page to to Genesis chapter 12, And said that God spoke unto Abraham. And so the birth of the Israelite nation begins with the fact that God speaks. You come to Exodus chapter 3 and that God sees the misery. And he hears the cry of his people. And he gets the attention of one who has escaped far away from the misery of Israel. And he's out uh, tending the sheep of his father-in-law. And it says God speaks. And he says, Moses, Moses. And he meets him there in the burning bush. And then, as Moses begins to, to lead the people out uh, of Egypt, in Exodus chapter 20, Moses is up on the mountain and it says once again that God speaks. And he gives him 10 commandments that then eventually are etched inside of stone, but they were first given as communication from God to Moses. You cannot find a place inside of Scripture inside of the, let's say, the top 100, the top 10, the top 50 events where God moved through human history that didn't begin with the voice of God and God speaking either directly to somebody or God speaking inside of the circumstances of what's taking place to use words. And then if you're not convinced, when you come to the New Testament and Jesus steps onto the page of human history, in John chapter 1 we read, about what took place, and we read this just a couple of weeks ago, but John said it in the beginning, not was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, Emmanuel. John picks a different word. John says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Remember back at creation, let us make mankind in our own image. Through him all things were made. The word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says you want to know what it's like that God would step in and intervene, the one that we've been waiting for and hoping for and the one who's spoken and the one who's acted and the one who's brought us to this place in human history that he sent forth the Messiah, we know him as the Word. The revelation of God, the Word of God, that is now one that we can touch and see and know, and we know his name and we know that where he grew up and we know who his mom is, and we know all these things about him, but it's because the Word of God now has become tangible and here right in front of us. It's interesting that throughout the New Testament, one of the words that you get, the descriptors, the names of who Jesus is, is he's the embodied word of God. The representation, the message, in the fullness, God in the flesh. The last reference is in Revelation 21. We're inside of the the gathering of the people where everyone's worship and Jesus is at the center, it said, and he will be known in that place as the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, God speaks to His people. God engages with with them. and, And I think one of the reasons He's given us the opportunity to speak and to engage in relationship, it's because it's one of the ways that we bear His image. And we look like Him and we act like Him. So let me break this down for a few things. We're going to get very practical over the next six weeks, but... I wanted to begin here to at least lay a foundation, and I think there's a few things we can surmise out of what we've just uh, read through and thought through today. The first is that God is a self-revealing God. That God is a self-revealing God. You would not know anything about God unless he desired and he took the first step and the initiative to make himself known. I believe last week we mentioned that the, the deists are those who believe that there is a God and God made the world. And after he was done making the world, he kind of threw it out in the space, and maybe he watches from a distance, but he's not involved day-to-day, moment-to-moment. That is not Christianity. Christianity says that the God who made everything, who spoke it into existence, now speaks inside of your life. And he's made himself known through the Word of God, Jesus, and through the Word of God, Scripture. But he's a God who speaks, and he's a God who wants to be known, and he wants to be heard, and he wants to be responded to, and he wants to be active. This is not a passive relationship. So then that means for you and for me, we take initiative and we engage in the lives of other people, not just because it's the right thing to do or a good thing to do, but when you do that, you embody the characteristics of the God that you serve. To be self-revealing and to take initiative inside of aspects of redemption and ministry. Second, just as there's communication inside the Trinity, where each person honors one another, that you have Jesus saying, I can't do anything apart from my Father, where I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to bear witness in my name. And the Spirit constantly gives witness to Jesus and and comes from the Father, that you have this mutual, loving, life-giving relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That becomes the pattern then for how you have relationships with other people, that there's honest Heartfelt, open, others-centered conversation between you and the people inside of your life. Because it's the right thing to do, yes, but because when you do that, you embody the characteristics in the heart of your God. Three, my words are not secondary or unimportant. They're not just an extension of this thing called life. They're a reflection of who I am. Your words are a reflection of who you are in the same way that the Word of God Jesus and the Word of God Scripture is a reflection of who God is. Now that sounds like an overstatement, but let me just say that again. Your words are a reflection of who you are in the same way that the Word of God Jesus and the Word of God Scripture are a reflection of who God is. Do you know want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? Open pages of Scripture. Do I want to know what you are like? I should just listen to you for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. In the same way, your words are a reflection of who you are. And number four, you and I then must treat people, all people, the people you agree with and the people you don't agree with, the people that annoy you and the people that you wish you had more time with, your friends and your enemies, your family and the people that are your family but you wish weren't your family. The people who stretch you and the people who give life to you. We treat all people with the dignity and respect they deserve as someone made in the image of God. This does not mean you cannot disagree. This does not mean you cannot speak up. This does not mean that we don't engage sometimes purposefully in conflict to settle issues. But it means that you and I do not have the luxury or the freedom of being able to look at somebody else in the way that, do, that denigrates or dismisses them as someone made in the image of God. We see people the way Jesus sees people. Made in my image. Someone that I would speak into existence. Someone I laid my life down for. And do you know not, there's not a person that you meet during the course of the week that's not one step away from a relationship with Jesus. And this is part of what we're going to get into over the next few weeks, is that we reduce people to issues. And so you read a quote that someone says, and all of a sudden they become the embodiment of evil. You read something, that, and somebody else likes this particular post that you think is unlikable as a Christian, and you immediately dismiss them. We are in a very polarized society and it's easy to say these are the people who are with us and these are the people who are not with us. And the reality is you don't have that right or that luxury according to Scripture to speak and relate and think of and interact with somebody that denigrates them as someone made in the image of God, for whom Christ died and who is one step away from a relationship with Jesus. This is difficult. In the culture where we live, with the amount of change that's taken place, the complexity of the issues that are in front of us, it's hard enough to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of the world in which we live. It's hard enough to prioritize people, but to do so in a way that honors God inside of the words that we use, the thoughts that we think, and how we live this Jesus thing out. But your words become a reflection of who you are in the same way that Jesus is a reflection of who God is. So here's my challenge for you today. It's not to speak to somebody about Jesus or to stop lying or to stop cussing or to do all those different things that you might think that, that those are for later weeks and those are all good things that you should start doing or stop doing. Here's my challenge for you this week. Let's take time to actually think about it. If I were walking alongside of me, listening to me, what would I conclude about me? If I were with you, walking alongside of you, listening to you, writing down as a transcript everything that you said this week, what would I conclude about you? Again, this is not to say, how do I feel guilty this week? Or how do I change everything inside of my life? Or how do I, like, just keep my mouth shut for a week until I get back to church next week? This is really, and I mean this, it's just an evaluation exercise. I don't care if you change anything. What if we just took time to listen over this next week? That if you were walking alongside of you, listening to you, what would you conclude about you? And to have the courage to do that in all forms. So I said five to ten times this week, meaning this. Maybe it's every night before you go to bed. Maybe it's a handful of conversations over dinner. Five minutes on a commute your car ride home. This is not just when you're in Bible study or those moments where you kiss your kids to bed or put your kids to bed at night and kiss them on the cheek. Inside of the totality of your day and the totality of your week, if you were walking alongside of you, listening to you, what would you conclude about you? Next week, we're going to talk about the culture in which we live a little bit more and the the title is Megaphones and Earplugs. Because more and more people are shouting and no one else is listening. And we've got our bunkers and we've got our sides and we've got our news stations and we've got our political parties and we've got all these things and we kind of box ourselves in and everybody's shouting and nobody's listening. And so we're going to talk about not how to figure that out, we're not going to figure that out and solve it, but how do we live faithfully in the midst of that culture. So please do this over the next week. No conclusions will be made, no report cards will be given out. Will you take time to evaluate over the next week? If you were you, walking alongside of you, listening to you, what would you conclude about you? Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you today that you are a self-revealing God. That you've given us the ability to know you. In fact, you have sought out to know us, to make yourself known to us. God, we thank you for the way in which you have given us the opportunity to interact inside of relationships and small groups and ministry teams. Lord, you place us sometimes in difficult situations to be a witness for you. And Father, we want to use our our words in the best way to bring honor and glory to you. So Father, I pray that you would be at work inside of our lives this next week even if nothing more than to just observe and actually hear the things that we say. Father, we trust that you're the one that continues to lead us forward. You're the one who brings redemption. You're the one who transforms. We trust this area of our life to you and ask that over these next weeks that you would do what only you can do to make us look more like Jesus. And it's in that name of Jesus we pray. Amen.